I'm Richmond County Sheriff Richard Roundtree. You're listening to Making a Difference with Ken Macon. of the madness known as making a difference i'm your host ken Macon. so glad you guys are checking in i know you guys hear that background tune the uh, melodic sounds of the marching 100 at florida a&m university my love my family hbcu love to everybody listening in and just i appreciate everybody who's checking into the podcast today today's podcast i'm calling it smhbcu and that is I'm shaking my head at, you know, historically black colleges and universities, just a lot of things that are going on, not only in my family, but also at some HBCUs that are near and dear to my heart. Now, I want to jump into this conversation right quick. We're going to be talking about Payne College and some of the accreditation challenges that they're having. I'm also going to talk about South Carolina State University, and ultimately, I'm going to address the politics, in some cases, party politics that are going on at HBCUs and how dangerous that is uh, to, uh, to, I mean, really to the, to the future of these schools and, you know, to the well-being of, you know, young people. And I mean, there, there's still a lot of alumni who are investing in, in these schools. So that's a lot. Of, that's basically going to be the heart of the show. I want you guys to sit back, you know, enjoy. Got a lot to talk about. First, want to thank our sponsors. Want to thank the Medical Villa Pharmacy on 1520 Laney Walker Boulevard in Augusta, Georgia. If you're looking for affordable health care and a pharmacy that you can trust, look no further than the Medical Villa Pharmacy, 706-722-7355, 706-722-7355. Also, shout out TaxWise Financial at 2664 Tobacco Road in Hepsibah. Professional and affordable representation, a wise choice for all your tax needs. That's TaxWise Financial, 706-305-1412, 706-305-1412. Also, want to continue to shout out my friends over at Pop and Stop. 3558 Windsor Spring Road in Hepsibah, Georgia. Uh, the best popcorn on earth. Look, I'm <laughs> I'm telling y'all from my experience. Uh, can't stop, won't stop, pop and stop. There's seven. They're at 706-524-7503. 706-524-7503. With that, I want to start talking about paying college. And just wanted to give you guys some up to the minute information on paying. Uh, paying over the weekend. The uh, Southern Association of Colleges and Schools Commission on Colleges. Um, we, uh, I generally just call them SACS. Um, they announced the decision on the appeal of Payne College. 
It was originally announced that Payne College had lost their accreditation, which was heartbreaking news that really shook the area. Heard uh, varying uh, varying concerns, and I'll I just want to share some share some of, share the actually the statement that they made uh, at the time of the decision. Uh, the appeals committee found the uh, Sachs board trustees decision to be reasonable, not arbitrary, and based on the standards cited. Further, the committee uh, determined that the college quote did not present evidence that the board of, that the uh, Sachs board of trustees in reaching its decision failed to uh, follow its procedures in its decision to remove membership. The appeals committee further examined additional financial information provided by Payne in accordance with uh, the accreditation body's procedures, which allow an institution removed from accreditation solely for financial reasons to submit new and variable financial information that had become available since the adverse action was taken by the board. Uh, the appeals committee, and I'm just I'm moving along uh, through this statement, also stated that, quote, even if the same information had been verifiable, Payne College did not provide material information to demonstrate a sound financial base in recent history of financial stability. As I mentioned, very sad news. Payne's response, uh, Payne had, uh, and as a result of that, Payne had actually instructed uh, their attorneys to file a lawsuit in the United States District Court uh, seeking an order compelling uh, the Sachs to restore its accreditation. Uh it was anticipated at that time, that was on the 17th, which was, uh, well, now, that was, excuse me, that, that would have been Saturday. Here's a statement from attorney Barbara E. Uh, Bonite, who's the chair of the Payne College Board of Trustees. She said, we're uh, disappointed that uh, Sachs chose to ignore the voluminous evidence demonstrating that Payne College is a vibrant, financially stable institution. She added, it is deeply distressing that Sachs has removed us from membership when our financial condition has improved so markedly over the last few years. We are deeply disturbed by the process that led to this result. Uh, Payne College President Dr. Samuel Sullivan also checked in, uh, saying that uh, this was not a review process that was governed by standards of due process. He further stated, although we presented abundant evidence that we had satisfied the issues Sachs identified, they chose to ignore such evidence. Unfortunately, uh, they do not have the last word. We believe that a court of law, following standards of due process, which are guaranteed by federal law, but completely absent from our proceedings before Sachs, will vindicate our position and ultimately our accreditation record. It's worth mentioning that uh, the Honorable Thomas Thrash, uh, who's the district judge um, for the district court for uh, Northern, Northern District of Georgia, entered a preliminary injunction reinstating Payne as a member of SACS. Uh, the effect of the injunction was to restore Payne's accreditation immediately um, before it was withdrawn. And I want to give you guys the latest on that. I have that information right here. If you guys give me just a second. Uh, on September 19th, uh, the leadership of Sachs agreed to a consent order granting preliminary injunction that reinstated the accreditation of Payne um, located in Augusta, Georgia. Uh, Payne is, a, is continued as a member on probation pending further order of the U.S. District Court. Uh, Sachs revokes all prior notifications regarding Payne College's September 12th, 2016 removal of accreditation. Some people see that as great news. It is great news, certainly in terms of Payne's accreditation. I just don't, you know, see that Payne is out of the water. In fact, I would still contend that Payne is in serious danger. Uh, this is a move that, I mean, it's 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 going to affect present and future enrollment. Uh, there are rumors, you know, when 
you know, and, and you hear a lot of different things, you know, Augusta University may be waiting in the wings, you know, for a land grab. I can't confirm nor deny that. Um, what I can say is that in the last two to three years, uh, we have seen how in textbook fashion, um, how, you know, previous re uh, regimes in terms of their dishonest leadership um, can utterly destroy university almost beyond repair. Um, I, I've had a chance. I, I've, I've been around Payne for many years. And what I've seen happen at, an institute, at that institution is disgraceful. I will say this, that the city of Augusta and particularly the Payne alumni are the reason why that school is still around and why that school is still, you know, and it is, is why they're, they're still fighting for survival. And those parties are commendable. It's just still, I mean, there's, there's still such a long way to go. I, um, you know, I, I wish that that was the only, uh, look, uh, adverse or, ch or challenging news I have for you today. But as I mentioned at the start of the show, I got, I got two more, I got two such stories to share. Um, Next, I want to talk about South Carolina State University, which lost 59 to nothing uh, this past Saturday at Clemson. You're probably asking yourself, what's the big deal about that? I mean, it, you know, it always happens when you have your, you know, your D1, I mean, really any D1 school, D1, a single A school playing at HBCU. Um, but there's a story in New York Times I had a chance to read, and I also posted it on the Making a Difference Facebook page. Uh, the name of the story is Historically Black Colleges Pay the Price for a Football Paycheck. It's a story out of the New York Times, really outlined the failure of what happens when you have these clashes. Um, I'm going to share an excerpt with you. Uh, Buddy Pugh, the uh, South Carolina State University coach, acknowledged last week that his team's task was hopeless. Uh, in talking about Clemson, he said they've got the ability to really come out and knock us crazy if they really decide to be that way. Uh, we want them to just kind of come out and just kind of go through the motions and get out of there which will probably be, probably be the best case scenario for us. That is a direct quote from uh, the football coach. Um, Clemson chose to knock the Bulldogs crazy, the story said. The score was 45 nothing at halftime. While the South Carolina State marching band entertained the crowd at the half, uh, the highlight of the game in truth, the referees went to the locker rooms to ask the coaches if they were willing to mercifully shorten the game by three minutes a quarter. Um, Poe and or excuse me, P.U. and uh, Dabo Swinney, the Clemson coach, agreed that was a good idea. The final score, as I mentioned, was 59 to nothing. Um, the writer said, I do not need to explain why games like these between a major football power and a much smaller school are played money. These matchups, usually scheduled early in the season, are called, quote, guarantee games because the visiting team is guaranteed an appearance fee. In other words, they are paid handsomely to get knocked crazy. In this case, South Carolina State was paid $300,000. It was the Bulldogs' third straight guarantee game. They'd also lost their first two games by 38-0 to Central Florida and by 53-24 to Louisiana Tech. The three games together reaped about $1 million for South Carolina State, more than 10% of its athletic budget. Uh, yes, there are predominantly white um, football championship subdivision or FCS schools that play guarantee games and lose by wide margins. And yes, there are times when the visitor in a guarantee game upsets a football power uh, those such teams are usually quality mid-majors like North Dakota State, which beat Iowa. Iowa, which uh, won the uh, Big Ten West last year. And walked away with a check for, nearly, for half a million dollars. But the focus here is on HBCUs, which are usually the most physically overmatched and get paid the least amount of money, and yet feel they have no choice but to use their players as sacrificial lambs and guarantee games to fund their struggling athletic departments. 
the one-sided scores and the public humiliation and potential for serious injury that comes with such mis- mismatches make one wonder if it is really worth it. I can answer that for you. Um, it's not worth it. And this is a, a great story. I, again, it's the New York Times, and the name of the story is HBCUs. I want to paraphrase here, but basically um, you know, are, are willing to pay a big price for a football paycheck. But that's in the New York Times. I want you guys to read that. Um, but one thing this particular story didn't address is how these types of games, uh, not only, I mean, they, they, they really take away from the education and the culture of HBCUs. The story went in depth, talking about injuries and different things like that. But a lot of my concern is about education and culture. Uh, the only thing that travels in the name of the school is the football team and the band. The mission doesn't travel. The history doesn't travel. And this is why I contend that our historically black colleges and universities get back to the essence of uh, the HBCU ideals of black college um, traditions by matching up in uh, what we know as the classics. Uh, that as a matter of fact, there was a, it was called, I believe it was called the fifth quarter classic um, between uh, Florida A&M and Tuskegee that took place last weekend. Really a, a, a good experience. Um, but just imagine this. Imagine if you had someone like Tom Jorner of the Tom Jorner Morning Show. Uh, who has championed the cause of uh, of black colleges and universities in the past, imagine if he had a weekly segment on his show, you know, on a Thursday or a Friday that highlighted, you know, a game of the week. Let's say, you know, this FAMU and Tuskegee game. And, you know, he brought attention to that game, you know, had the coaches to call in, different things like that. It would be a time to, to highlight these institutions for more than athletics, for more than what's going to happen on a football field. But, would really allow these institutions to, to shine in a positive light, to really, you know, generate and promote that, that spirit of pride. Another thing it would do is it would change the economic impact of the communities that these schools help serve. Orangeburg, South Carolina is about an hour from where I'm doing this podcast, about an hour some change. And if for those of you guys who've ever been to Orangeburg, South Carolina, who've ever been to South Carolina State University or, shout out Claflin University, do you think Orangeburg couldn't use a boost from an extra football game or two? Or more importantly, couldn't use the boost from how school pride could promote alumni involvement or it could increase enrollment at these institutions? We really have to start thinking about these issues differently. And treating young black men like they are sacrificial lambs on behalf of the athletic budget is not the answer. When we come back, we're going to talk about the politics behind SMHBCU. And this exam does not exempt President Obama. You're listening to Making a Difference. My name is Lauren Macon, and you are listening to Making a Difference with my handsome husband, Ken Macon. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Are you looking for affordable health care? Are you looking for a pharmacy that you can trust? Well, look no further than Medical Villa Pharmacy on 1520 Laney Walker Boulevard here in beautiful Augusta, Georgia. This may be a familiar voice to you. Hey, it's none other than Ken Macon from the hit show Making a Difference. And I just want to tell you about the fine folks over at Medical Villa Pharmacy. They're led by pharmacists, Dr. Marshall Curtis and Baron Curtis. And I tell you, they provide great service for many of us here in Augusta, Richmond County. They take Georgia Medicaid, insurance plans, charge cards, WIC vouchers, and they even provide free delivery service. The Medical Villa Pharmacy is conveniently located in the medical district near the Medical College of Georgia and Payne College. Medical Villa Pharmacy. They are dedicated doctors, medical mavens, and a blessing to the health industry. What more can I say but head to Medical Villa Pharmacy, 706-722-7355, 706-722-7355. 
Have you gotten a letter from the IRS about an audit, levy, or tax lien? Worried because you haven't filed taxes in several years? Well, stop worrying and call the tax pros at TaxWise Financial on Tobacco Road. TaxWise Financial is licensed to represent you at all levels of the IRS in any state. From the simple to the complex, professional and affordable representation by TaxWise Financial will help resolve all of your tax issues. Call them at 706-305-1412. TaxWise Financial, the wise choice for all your tax needs. Looking for a snack on the go? A gift for someone you know? Well, I want to let you know about my brand new shop, Pop and Stop. Hi, my name is Amber, and if you're like me, you want three things to be great in life. Food, fun, and friends. Well, Pop and Stop has all three. First, the food. We have the best gourmet popcorn in Augusta, and quite possibly the world. We have flavors such as strawberry cheesecake, vanilla, Oreo cheesecake, cheesy ranch, and much more. As far as the fun, we have great discounts, deals, and events for our loyal customers. What about friends? We consider the Augusta community to be our friends. More like family, really. When you support Pop and Stop, you're supporting our youth. When you support Pop and Stop, you're supporting local entrepreneurs and artists through events such as Pop, Sip, and Stroke. So stop in today. Once you pop, you can't stop. Pop and stop. You can find us at 3558 Windsor Spring Road next to the Checkers or give us a call at 706-524-7503. I'm Augusta Mayor Hardy Davis. You're listening to Making a Difference with Ken Macon. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. Here to talk about my FAMU and the politics of SMHBCU. Uh, for the third time in a decade, FAMU has a vacancy in its presidency. Uh, the FAMU Board of Trustees recently approved a separation agreement that called for President Elmira Mangum to step down immediately. Uh, Mangum will uh, be paid her regular annual salary through the duration of her contract, which expires March 31st. She is also eligible for a year-long sabbatical and to return to FAMU as a faculty member. The vote by the Board of Trustees was 10 to 1. I just... (laughs) This hits so close to home for me, y'all, because, first of all, I mean, I, I attended FAMU, FAMU's my alma mater. The thing that hurts me is that I mean, and y'all know this just in your everyday lives. When you have a high turnover, you know, in faculty, when you have a high turnover in manpower, it can dramatically affect the success of a company or of a business or of an entity. Uh, particularly, you know, when that leadership is at the top. But having seen, you know, Dr. Mangum, what she had been able to accomplish and some of the, I mean, just really just the positive exposure that she brought to the school and how the students loved her. For the board of trustees to, I mean, I called it, the term I used was political regicide. That's how I felt about it. I felt that, you know, they went after the, they went after the queen and, you know, they, they took our queen from us. Um, I want to talk about this in context and in relationship to what happens when party politics start to you know, infect and infest our HBCUs. This is a story from October of last year. Uh, Democratic Democratic lawmakers uh, who are alumni of FAMU called on Governor Rick Scott to shake up the historically black uh, public institutions board of trustees when three of his appointees terms come up in January. Um, and this is 
was scheduled to come up in January of, of this year, 2016. Representatives Alan Williams of Tallahassee and Mia Jones of Jacksonville, who have been critics of the Republican governor, pushed for him to replace some members of the board whose public battle with President Elmira Mangum came to a head when members twice voted unsuccessfully to fire her. Again, this is these shenanigans have been going on for a while. I want to share this story from 2014. This is a story about South Carolina State University. Uh, Cash-strapped South Carolina State University could receive another $12 million loan from the state during the next three years, a move that was opposed by Governor Nikki Haley. Uh, the loan, approved by a special uh, legislatively appointed committee, would have given the school $18 million in state loans. Uh, South Carolina State received a $6 million loan from the state Budget and Control Board, uh, led by Haley in, earlier in that year. Uh, South Carolina State at the time was working to uh, trim a $13.6 million deficit in unpaid bills uh, that dated uh, to the beginning of that uh, that previous school year. However, state budget officials said the university owed at the time at least $18 million. Uh, South Carolina's uh, only historically black public college has struggled financially since the recession because of its shrinking enrollment, smaller state funding, and fewer federal student loans. Uh, Governor Haley at the time opposed lending more money until the school hired an outside financial consultant, uh, which was one of the conditions set when the state uh, accepted the $6 million loan. She said at the time that she didn't think one more dollar should go to South Carolina State until they moved toward that process to continue to give them money as buying time uh, to get financial consultants in there is teaching them how to clean up the mess that's there. Teaching them how to clean up the mess was the um, terminology that she used. So my question is this. South Carolina State University later allowed this same governor to name trustees at, at South Carolina State. So here's my question. Why do we let these foxes in the hen house at, H, at our HBCUs? It's absurd. Let's review the history um, of HBCUs, uh, which were established in the spirit of providing educational and economical opportunities for black folks who want to better themselves. Uh, these schools were established in the midst of harsh, uh, harsh racism. Some of these schools are land-grant schools. These are schools um, that, from their, in, from their inception, from um, the time they were established, were supposed to receive federal funding and support. I um, have shared on this broadcast a previous report with y'all um, that came out in 2013 uh, that said from 2010 to 2012, 61% of the land-grant institutions, uh, which were some of which were established in 1890, did not receive 100% of the one-to-one -one matching funds from their respective states for extension or research funding. There's a history of HBCUs being underfunded and mistreated. Yet we allow the political parties um, of these dominant state-based regimes to oppress us further because of, our, because of the failure of our schools to manage the resources that we do have. It's ridiculous. To, it, it's ridiculous to let and, and a lot of these times, I can tell you this is, you look, Georgia, South Carolina, Florida, to let these Republican-backed regimes who will put uh, individuals on these boards who do not have um, the best interests of uh, HBCUs and of the students there and the students um, who, at who attend do not have their best interests in mind. Why do you let them represent us on board of trustees? It's, it's sabotage. There's no other name. There's no other word for it. There's no other name for it. It's shameful. It's disgraceful. And 
it's it's something that there to me there has to be a collective a collective consciousness that has to start taking place at our historically black colleges and universities, and you know a good a good portion of that I've seen with pain. You know, a lot of that comes from you know alumni are giving alumni will meet they'll collaborate they'll say well this is you know this is how we feel um this should be the direction of the university and those conversations are important and it's good that you know when administration and alumni and students can come together on one accord because you don't always see that but these are the type of conversations that need to be had and for goodness sakes let's be mindful of the politicians that we allow to make and impact the day-to-day decisions that go on at these colleges and universities. It's the same as, you know, what, what we see in municipalities, what we see, you know, on these state boards, you know, state house of representatives, you know, um, state senate. It's the same type of things. We're allowing folks that don't give a darn about us to make these everyday decisions, make the day-to-day decisions that impact our lives. We got to do, we got to do better than this. So, you're probably asking the same question I'm asking. What's our president doing? What is Barack Obama doing about HBCUs? What is he, um, what's, what's his take? What's his viewpoint? You know, what has he implemented to help uh, historically black colleges and universities? And this, I mean, really is, a, is an unfortunate point because um, he really hasn't done a lot. I had a chance to, and, you know, when I, when I do podcasts, I, I take in a lot of information. Um, I, I research a lot, you know, look at, you know, you know, look at, uh, editorials. I look at, you know, um, re, you know, re, just research, look at data, a lot of different things. And I, I had a chance to go to, uh, to the root.com and the root.com had a piece. Uh, the name of the piece was scold in chief, uh, the love hate relationship between HBCUs and president Obama. And they pulled, um, you know, pull some, pull some quotes, pull some reference points about President Obama. There was a, a comment made uh, from Johnny, uh, Johnny C. Taylor, who's the uh, CEO and president of the Thurgood Marshall College Fund, said he was, quote, consciously optimistic about what the Obama administration would mean for HBCUs. He said, I assume we wouldn't be harmed. At a minimum, I thought things would remain status quo. That did not happen. Uh, the Thurgood Marshall College Fund, which supports HBU students through scholarships, while also lobbying Congress on behalf of HBCU member schools, um, including influ- uh, inf- excuse me, influencing budgetary decisions, uh, was concerned from the very moment uh, President Obama took office. HBCUs, with their dependence on state and federal funding, have always paid close attention to how administrations, Democratic and Republican, approached them when it came to funding decisions. Um, but if HBCUs were to follow Vice President Joe Biden's famous adage, show me your budget and I'll tell you what you value, then the Obama administration got off to a rocky start. Uh, the first Obama budget in, 20, in 2009, during the height of the recession, removed a two-year Bush administration program that annually funded $85 million directly to HBCU schools. At the time, the administration pointed to its increase of Title III direct funding to HBCUs from $238 million to $250 million, while also increasing Pell Grant limits for students as mitigating factors. But those increases aside, it still meant that HBCUs were to lose nearly $73 million in funds. Even Senator Richard Burr, a Republican from North Carolina, criticized the decision, pointing to $9 million in Whaling History Museum funding that had been maintained in the Obama budget. Um, Dr. Julianne Malvo, 
I wrote an editorial piece um, going into uh, President Obama for cutting us, remembered uh, Taylor. The White House uh, White House's response was, uh, wasn't, oops, I'm sorry, I can't believe this incredible oversight. Their position was, quote, we didn't cut you. That program was temporary. It just wasn't renewed. It was at that moment when my assumption that things couldn't get worse was now challenged. This is, and I, I want to talk about, you know, and this is a, a discussion that some black folk are afraid to have. I'm not one of those black folk. And that is to say, what has President Obama done for black folk? And I mean, let's face it, it's it's 2016. We elected him in 2008, you know, with a lot of hope, the expectation of change and celebration. And, you know, President Obama has, has done some good things. When I look at I mean, even now as I do this podcast and I think about the life uh, of, of Terrence Crutcher, um, you know, who was snuffed out at the hands of police brutality and to see, you know, just some of President Obama's commentary about some of the things that has happened over time. Um, when I think about his initial comments, you know, on Trayvon, you know, if he said if I had a son, you know, he looked like Trayvon to where he is now, you know, where he's having, you know, these town hall meetings, you know, um, with police and. There's just not a, a lot of accountability there. His approach with HBCUs has left a lot to be desired, even with the commencement speeches, because as you can imagine, you know, if you're getting ready to graduate, you know, from any college, but particularly HBCU, and you have African-American, biracial, whatever, you know, uh, look, the first black president as President Obama is, you know, looked at, um, you know, it's, it's, it's something that's very exciting. But to have, you know, the first black president come to your institution and to basically engage in respectability politics, I mean, a lot, a lot of that just leaves a lot left to be desired. Um, and that's that's where we are right now when it comes to HBCUs. It's a it's a it's a position that, quite frankly, these institutions in our community have always been in. It's always been, you know, in a, in a, in a perilous, um, in an urgent condition. And to sit back and to act like things are okay because, you know, maybe th- one college over here is doing well or, you know, this particular individual is doing well, it doesn't speak to the entire populace. You know, and I, my, my philosophy has always been if there's one person suffering, then the community is suffering. And, you know, it's incumbent upon us to look after those who can't look after themselves. And, and so it goes, you know, with our historically black colleges and universities. Um. And, and, and it's, it's kind of ironic that, you know, we kind of end this in this conversation talking about President Obama because, you know, he talked about, you know, his legacy and how, you know, it would be a, a personal insult to his legacy, you know, if we didn't vote uh, for Hillary Clinton. And my response to that is this. To me, the personal insult is to look at some of the conversations that have been had, to look at some of the actions that have been taken over an ex- extensive period of time to look at the actions that have been taken. Um, and I'm not so much talking about the Obama administration right now, but I'm talking about Congress. I'm talking about, you know, your your local governments, um, city governments, your municipalities, to see the inaction that they've taken in a lot of different areas, inaction they've taken in terms of poverty, the inaction they've taken in terms of police brutality. And it would be a personal insult to us as human beings, to us as taxpaying citizens, to not be informed when we go to the polls to not only to be informed about the issues that are taking place. We uh, had a recent podcast about 
uh, the No Opportunity School District. I would encourage you all to go back and uh, when you go to SoundCloud to look up Educate Yourself. A lot of you guys have, uh, you know, click uh, click the link there or you know press play on that. I appreciate that. Had a great conversation with Ms. Venus Kane. If you haven't heard that, I would by all means I would challenge you to go back and and take a listen to that. I just want you know all of us to go to the polls and to and to really understand what's going on. You know, for a lot of you guys who are listening to the podcast, I don't have to tell you not to vote for Trump. You all know what what Trump represents. I mean, he represents uh, fear mongering. He represents, you know, uh, racism. He represents uh, xenophobia. But I'm here to tell you that the Clintons represent. I'm just not talking about the pandering. I'm talking about some of the very real concerns and topics brought up uh, by Michelle Alexander in the new Jim Crow. Uh, You know, the Clintons and, you know, that their rhetoric when you talk about super predators, even now. We voted for President Obama because we loved him. We loved what he represented. And for President Obama to, I mean, he embraced that. He rode that to the presidency. So now eight years later to turn over and to make, you know, the elect the electoral process and the decision-making process more about fear instead of love, it's counterproductive. And to me, it's a reason why you have not seen either candidate, either of the major candidates, Clinton or Trump, be able to pull away because, I mean, there, there's nothing that's going to galvanize a people. What you have is you have people who are going to go back to their bases and they're going to say, well, I'm going to vote for this person based on my fears and concerns. And you have another you know, group of individuals who's going to vote for somebody else based on their fears and concerns. And that's why you know, you, you really have the state of affairs that you have in politics. It's, it's very sad. Um. I do want to close out the podcast today just talking very briefly about uh, Terrence Crusher uh, in Tulsa and, you know, just really just so, so many of the deaths that have happened, you know, at the hands of police brutality. And people always ask, you know, like, what can I do? You know, how can I, how, how can we stop what's going on? And I, I always challenge people and say, you know, the, the most profound thing you can do is is to take on, you know, personal responsibility. And I'll just tell you what that means for me. Um, don't misunderstand me when I when I say that, because I'm definitely going to introduce government, governmental responsibility and how that trumps personal uh, responsibility for various reasons. But just for myself, I think about, you know, just doing a podcast and I'll just tell you for me, I, I actually work swing shifts. I work, you know, anywhere from, you know, 40 to sometimes 50, uh, 55 hours a week. You know, at just what I, you know, I guess it's considered my, if you want to call it my main job, it's not my passion. This is my passion. But to the point of personal responsibility, you know, a lot of it is, you know, just your, your state of mind, you know, the things that you research. Um, beyond that, just the things that you eat, the you know, your diet, just, you know, your, your state of being. And there are things that we can do to, I mean, you almost have to, it's, it's like a discipline you got to have. It's like a, almost like a, you're always trying to get better, always learning, always, you know, just growing and developing. And it's, it's surprising how many of us kind of get stagnant. I under, hey, I understand, you know, different things coming up. It may be somebody in your family who's really sick. Maybe you're a caregiver for them. Maybe it's your kids, man. Your kids are, there's a lot going on with your kids. Maybe there's a lot going on in, in your personal life. But we have to make room to grow. We have to make room to be dynamic, to be great. And... When you start having, when you have that epiphany, what's going to happen is this is you're going to say, well, there are certain things in, in life that, you know, I'm, 
you know, we, we, we kind of play around with the word entitlements and we use it as a word to discredit. But if you're a taxpaying citizen, there are certain things that, yes, <laughs> you have a right um, to be entitled to. And that's where governmental responsibility comes in. It's up to us. I mean, whether it's going to a city council meeting, whether it's making sure you understand what's going on, you know, not only in your in your child's life at your child's school, but to understand, you know, I mean, what's happening in your child's classroom is, is just a microcosm. It's a, a small part of what goes on in the entire school system. What's going on in your child's school overall? What's going on in your child's school district overall? And this is how we have to expand our thinking, expand our growth and development. It can't just, you know, when it comes to school, it can't just be about, oh, well, I know the football game's coming up Friday night. At some point, there has to be a greater understanding of what's going on based on uh, the very real urgency, the very real, you know, uh, concerns that we have in our community and how our community is being treated. And so I want to leave you guys with that. I want to thank you guys so much. Uh, You know, thank you guys for listening. Thankful to the sponsors. We have some great shows coming up. We're actually getting to, you know, we're back in. I'm not going to say we're back in, but earlier this year, you know, in May, we had a chance to do some, uh, do a series called Meet the Candidates. And we're going to come back with that. I have a a conversation coming up. Uh, We had a chance to speak to uh, Henry Hank Sims. He's actually running for a sheriff in Aiken County, African-American man running for sheriff. To be honest with you, you know, having grown up in the Aiken area, I was really intrigued um, to hear about, you know, this gentleman running for public office. And so I had a chance to talk with him. I, you know, had, had some really good things to say. We hey, we asked him about Black Lives Matter. We asked him about, you know, some of the issues, you know, and when it comes to police brutality. And he had some, some really profound quotes to say. We're going to share that with you on the next podcast. And we're also going to have, you know, some other uh, candidates that we're going to be talking about. And not, not only that, but just some very pressing issues that we're going to address in the near future. One more thing I want to share with you guys. If you ever, ever, ever have a commentary that you want us to speak on, to that regard, um, we're, and what we're going to do is we're going to start a new series with that as well. It's going to be called Mad Requested, M-A-D, uh, Making a Difference Requested. The first Mad Requested, uh, I want to shout out my brother Donald Doe. Donald Doe is might just be the biggest supporter of making a difference. He listens to all the podcasts. Um, you know, he shares it, you know, with people. We always have good dialogue about it. Shout out my man Doe on that. Um, but he wanted to talk about, you know, why some of the black athletes feel like they can't say anything, why they can't speak truth to power, you know, while being in that capacity. Um, and, you know, we're obviously going to juxtapose that with uh, the stand that Colin Kaepernick is taking. But that's going to be the first man requested. Um, we're going to have that for you. Give me about a week or so, but I know that's going to be a, a really good podcast. I know a lot of you guys are going to be excited about that because of some of the things that Kaepernick has done and then because of some of the things that other athletes have not done. Um, you know, Cam Newton, somebody who comes to mind, there was actually a revelation that came out about Cam um, and why he has uh, suddenly gotten to be uh, silent on a lot of these important issues. It's not something that justifies his silence, but it does uh, bring clarity to um, to something that really, you know, not only as a, a Panthers fan, a Carolina Panthers fan, but as somebody who deeply has deep concerns about the uh, African-American community. Um, you know, it's, it's something that is very pressing. That was something that really is, is hurting our community right now because so many of us, let's face it, you know, 
when Cam was doing the dab, and I, I would say dab, D-A-B, is defined in black. That's really what the dab represented for a lot of us. And to see Cam doing well and, you know, really doing it his way, to basically have done an about face, I mean, and, and there's a, an understandable backlash from the community because of that. But those are some things, you know, you can kind of expect uh, moving down the road. So many things you can do um, to keep in touch with the podcast and know when things are coming up. Obviously, SoundCloud.com backslash making a difference. Uh, that's M-A-K-I-N, a difference. Uh, you can also check us out on Facebook. The Facebook page is uh, M-A-K-I-N, a difference. Uh, you can get there. The address is Facebook.com backslash making a difference show. We're also on Twitter. My Twitter handle is difference, D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-C-E, um, underscore making, M-A-K-I-N, difference making. And if you want to send me an email, because sometimes, you know, hey, you got some things you just want to send, get some things off your chest, you can do that as well. Uh, the web address is making a difference show at gmail.com. Again, that is making a difference show at gmail.com. Also, I don't know why I wanted to put that underscore in difference making. It's where the handle is difference, just difference making. There's no underscore. Sorry about that. But no, I um I love I love doing this, man. I love I, I I love how you guys are really supporting um Facebook Live. If you guys are you know, on my personal page. When I even now, if you're on my personal page, you can also see those um, on the Making a Difference page because what I'm doing is I'm sharing those live pod. I'm sharing the live dialogue with folks. I'm sharing that on the um, on the on the Facebook page. But with all of that said, I I really do, man. Love you guys so much. Um, you know, it's it's a, it's a shame we have to say this, man. But we're in perilous times. So I gotta tell y'all, be safe, man. I'll be safe out there. Don't don't trivialize life and. Don't become desensitized to death. Um, I know just for myself, I love life too much to be ever uh, become desensitized to death. So when I see things happening in the community and it's not, it, it's not, it doesn't contain the fullness of life, I'm definitely going to speak out about it and speak up on it. And I pray that you guys do the same. Love y'all. Peace and God bless. Oh, look, I didn't already look, signed off, but now I got something for y'all. I got a little something for y'all from, uh, from Florida a University. Um, man, it's the time, you know, <laughs> we, we need something. We need so a, a miracle to happen with the HBCU. So I'm going to play a little something from, uh, from Ye, um, courtesy of the FAMU band. So I want you guys to enjoy this, um, as we get ready to sign off. And now I can say, um, with all certainty and peace of mind, love you guys so much. Peace and God bless. <laughs>
Did you enjoy that episode of Making a Difference? If you did, then I want you to follow and keep up with the Making a Difference movement on Twitter, on Facebook, on SoundCloud, and on iTunes. If you're looking us up on iTunes, search for Making M-A-K-I-N-A Difference. SoundCloud, all you got to do is go to soundcloud.com backslash making a difference. On Twitter, the handle is difference making, M-A-K-I-N. And on Facebook, you can go to facebook.com backslash making a difference show, S-H-O-W. Thank you guys so much for supporting the movement. Love you guys. Peace and God bless.